Then I wanted uh, to talk about this is the last full day. And uh, possibly you are uh, swimming in timelessness, but very likely I would think you are aware it's the last full day. And what is interesting uh, on the last full day is that we're still here. And then part of us is starting to move. The, the first thing to really be aware of is that today you really don't have to worry about getting out tomorrow. You will be able to get out tomorrow. There is no problem with that. <laughs> and this is, re, this is very well organized because tomorrow before breakfast, uh, the coordinator will be here and then they will organize rides, taxi, and everything. So today, you really don't have to worry about that. You don't have to put any notes about ride, taxi. This will be all arranged tomorrow morning before breakfast. Then the other thing, uh, to a little bit as a reminder, is about the silence. So tomorrow morning, after breakfast, at breakfast, you will, the silence will be broken, you'll be able to share. Of course, those who want to continue to be in silence can, but tomorrow really you'll have the opportunity to share at breakfast, then you'll go back to the silence, and then around 11.30 again, the silence will be totally open, and then you'll have opportunity to share and talk to each other. And so today, really remember that it's still an opportunity to cultivate the silence for yourself and for others. So I would really encourage you to continue with the commitment to the silence, to this friendly silence, so that we try to be totally silent in the room, totally silent in the building, in the garden, and to really continue to use uh, one of the practice. Because, I mean, at home, when you go home, you have plenty of opportunity, I hope, to speak with people, to share. But really, kind of, you know, this last day of being silent, or having this special atmosphere, I think to really continue to use that as one of the conditions. And uh, also, uh, to be careful, I know this is the last day so there might be a little kind of, kind of, you know, little movement toward mobile phone. Well, today maybe I can check a little. Maybe I can have it, you know, next to me in the meditation room or whatever. Please, tomorrow you'll have lots of opportunity with your mobile phone if you have one of those. And today, you still have a holiday from them. You know, you still have the holiday from them. So really, I would say, kind of, you know, leave them in uh, airplane mode if you need them for uh, the, the clock. But otherwise, please, kind of, you know, still use opportunity to not have to look at email or anything of that nature, just using the opportunity for the last day. And then for the last day, you also have, I mean, as I said, 
in a way, you have been cultivating the last six days. So in a way, all that cultivation is actually having a certain momentum. Over time, it builds up. So in a way, we could use today as a means to continue with that momentum, as a means to continue in a way to enjoy what we've built up so far. And at the same time that there is this momentum, there is this, uh, what we've cultivated, of course, there is a little bit of the energy of moving. And this is very natural. This is kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the body and mind nearly move before you want to move. It's kind of in a way preparing you for action. And so in a way, you live a little today on the last day, you kind of, kind of these things going on. One, coming back to what you've built, and then this movement toward action, toward future, towards anticipation. And so in a way, again, having kindness toward that, but also seeing tomorrow is tomorrow. We don't need to be tomorrow today. And so in a way, today is still the opportunity to be today with its own condition. And tomorrow, we'll have other conditions. And so what I'd like to talk about today is actually quietness and clarity. So going back a little bit to what I started with when I talked about song, song, jock, jock what my teacher used to talk a lot about. Brightness, brightness, calmness, calmness. That as we practice, time to time, we can feel this quietness and clarity. And when there is this quietness and clarity, in a way we don't have to do something on top of that. So in a way it's kind of like, happens over time, we can have more of that experience. And so when we have this quietness and clarity state, experience often, our first reaction is, great, how can I talk to my friend about it? Or how can I deepen it? When actually the only thing we need to do is to just be with it. So of course, if you are in this quiet and clear state, experience, you don't really need to do anything then. You don't need to put the question in, you don't need to pay specific attention to the sound or to the breath, because in a way you're quiet and clear with everything that exists in that moment. So we can just be there. And then in a way you could say the practice is to just be there with that state, in a way like being imbibed, suffused with the state, just experiencing at one level because, oh yeah, I can experience that. And also at the level because it's quiet and clear. So in a way, just being with it so that we don't grasp at it, we don't do anything, but we just, in a way, accompany it. <laughs> and then at some point, again, that will dissipate because the energy change, you don't have the energy, or something happened, and then it goes. And then, 
we can look what is it that I might then cultivate once it's passed or once it's changing. And so I, li I like to, to read you a few quotes about that. So the first one is about, in a way, looking at those two elements in the practice of calmness and alertness of clarity. So that's the first quote. If one remains in deep calm without being aware, it means we might sink into dullness. So at time, there will be more calm. But if there is no, not, little, not much awareness, not much clarity, you could nearly say if you have too much calm, we can sink into dullness. If one remains aware without being calm, we might become entangled in our thought. So like if there is not enough calmness, but there is a lot of alertness, awareness, then that energy could make it that we kind of get caught more in thought because there is not enough calmness. And then, if one is in a state of being neither aware nor calm, <laughs> then one is not only entangled in thought, but might also be submerged by dullness. So I hope that by now this is not happening to you. <laughs> and here, I think that you know, we have uh, brought these uh, three anchors, we could say. The breath, the questioning, the sound. And in a way, I think each are a little bit part of that equation of quietness and clarity. Like if you are too calm and you continue with the breath, then sometimes what can become a little vague. And then you could bring the questioning. If you have a lot of the questioning, but not enough calmness, suddenly you might go into more discursive thought. And then you might come back to the breath. Or you might feel a little tense. You might feel a little too much intensity, too much tense, then you could bring a little bit the listening. So to see that each of the anchor can bring a little something according to the conditions. Then the second quote, clear awareness and deep calm are beneficial, but clear awareness with delusion will not work. So it's pointing out the same. You could have a very, a lot of alertness, but then the alertness can be in a way overtaken by then discursive thought. And that's tricky, that one, because sometimes you can have an insight, as I suggested before. So sometimes you're sitting there and suddenly, ah, oh, you understand something, you see something very clearly. And then for a little while, it's really clear. And so you kind of, it's really what I would call, you have an insight, an understanding, you see something you've not seen before. 
But generally after a while, then the energy of that goes, and then you start to think about it. You try to remember it. You try to make all kind of connection. So in a way to notice, when is it that it's really clarity and insightful, and when is it that it becomes, you know, it kind of what I would call occupying thought. Uh, when I was uh, still uh, writing books, um, I used to sit in meditation and I used to have all these amazing ideas about books and chapters and until I realized that, yeah, there was lots of clarity about lots of ideas, but once the meditation was finished, I never used this idea. And I realized, uh-uh, I am occupying myself. So it's kind of really alert and fun, but I am not really practicing, am I? Because there is not enough calm within it. It becomes like more entertainment, so dhamma-tainment, <laughs> writing-tainment. Deep calm and clear awareness are appropriate, but deep calm with absent-mindedness is not helpful. So again, here what we're trying to really build up is this quiet and clear state, so that there can be a deep calm, at the same time there is a great clarity. Because I think what, of course, to feel calm, when you might otherwise feel very agitated, can be very helpful. Because it really, in a way, relaxes the whole system. So at that level, that can be very useful to cultivate calm. But to see that just calm is not enough, because the calm could, in a way, become a little disassociated. Oh, I am fine here. You, never mind, I am fine, I am calm. You see, we have to be careful because often we equate calm with equanimity. And we equate equanimity with I am not reacting to anything no matter what happens. So basically I'm on my little cloud floating and suffering, not mine, so I don't care. And this is really not what we're trying to cultivate. So in a way the calm is not to anesthetize us. The calm is to really stabilize us. And then together with the calm, then developing the clarity, developing the insight, developing the wisdom. Then it finished by saying, how can any delusion arise if calm <coughs> does not let in any distraction and awareness does not leave any room for unskillful thinking. So in a way, the calm is about, in a way, calming the agitation. Because what is interesting, if we take thought, but we could do the same with emotional sensation, is that thought are just kind of like, you know, functioning of the organism. So there is, in a way, no problem with the thought. What is problematic with the thought is when they kind of reach a certain level of pitch and then it's kind of like you agitated by thinking. You kind of like 
that you feel kind of is nearly relentless. So in a way, the calm is going to bring the space. So then, if we want to think, we think, if we want to plan, but we're not going to this, do it in such a way we cannot stop it. Because sometimes you think, I cannot stop thinking about this. And so the calm is actually bringing spaciousness so that there is more freedom in connection to that. And then the clarity is actually, and this was one important idea, about condition. Because, you see, the more we think about something, the more we feed that, the more we will act that. And so if we have unskillful thought, like back to the ethic yesterday, if we kind of think about, you know, attacking somebody, if we think about revenge, if we think about this kind of thing, then this is kind of going to not only enervate the whole system, but more likely we're going to do it. So in a way, there is also the clarity of saying, hmm, I'm having this thought. Do I want to continue to think it or not? So in a way, is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Is it leading to agitation? Or is it leading to understanding? Is it leading to compassion? So that's why we kind of, you know, we're really trying to cultivate the truth the quietness and the clarity together. Then I, w <coughs> I wanted to uh, also offer uh, another quote because this is something you can hear a lot in the chants on or Zen tradition. Uh, often you hear this term, no thought or no mind. And so we might have the impression that it's about having no thought whatsoever. So that in a way the calmness is about like we have no thought. But this is part of uh, the teaching of the six patriarch we name. And that's what, how we define what it means, no mind or no thought. No mind is to see and to know all things with a mind free from grasping. So no, he's not saying that no mind is to have no thought. What he's saying is that no mind is to see and to know all things with a mind free from grasping. So no, what, what, what the point is a fact about and we're looking at the stickiness. Are we sticking or not? Because the mind can operate without sticking. And the practice is about that. So then he says, when in use, it pervades everywhere, yet it sticks nowhere. So again, what we're trying to develop is really this kind of clear knowing quiet knowing, so this kind of like really, uh, you could say, mindful attention, so that you're really aware, because sometimes one could have the impression that we kind of just supposed to be aware, and through that again, you can have this impression, 
nearly that I need to become indifferent to anything that occurs, but that's not the idea. Because it says it pervades everywhere. So we still mean we are touched by things. We are aware of things. We are in contact with them. Yet it sticks nowhere. And then that's why he said what we have to do is to cultivate so that the six aspect of consciousness, when they go through the sixth sense organ, will neither be colored nor attached to the sixth sense object. What I found interesting about this quote is actually it really meets, it's kind of, I see this quote as a bridge to the mindfulness. Because in mindfulness, that's what we're trying to do, to just be aware of the contact through the senses. And so here he's not saying you should not have contact, you should not see things, you should not hear things or think things or feel things. It's human. We have these senses, we are conscious, we are in contact with the world. But when we hear something, when we see something, when we taste something, can we meet it without grasping? without, in a way, be colored or sticking to it, but still encounter it in a creative way. That's why I use the term creative, so that there's still a possibility of encounter, of action, but instead of being sticky, it's in a way creatively meeting the object through the senses. So this is why I would suggest today that we do that, that in a way to really uh, see this last day as really an opportunity first to cultivate, like you know, we've been building this momentum of practice, so really kind of trying how can I experience? And if I experience it, be with that quietness, that clarity. At time, according to different things, do I need to bring a little focus on the breath, or on the question, or on listening. <coughs> but also, uh, being in the world, being here. We are moving with others, we're seeing uh, the nature, the flowers, we are eating, we are working. And so through all that, we are in contact with the world. And so can, can this be like a creative contact today? Because in a way, what stops us in daily life from the creative contact, I would say often is busyness. Is that we, we feel busy, we feel we have so many things to do that we become stressed. And then within that stress, it's hard to find some quietness, to find some clarity, and there can be this creative response. But today we still have those uh, conditions that we can really try to cultivate this quietness, this clarity, this creative response, and then we can bring this, because that's our aim, into daily life. And then I'd like to finish with uh, two poems by uh, my great... Uh, this is a nun. When I was in Korea as a nun, she, she was a nun I really admired. 
and I uh, practiced with her for a month once, and she was incredibly humble, and always kind of, you know, working in the field or doing things, and she was wonderfully humble, active, very wise, and very respected. And so I, uh, as part of what I wanted to do after I left the monastery, I wrote a book about my experience as a nun, but also in order to publish her life story, and uh, in that there is also included some of her poetry. So that's two poems. First one. Buddha cannot see Buddha, sees Buddha. I cannot see I, sees I. I saw the nature awaken to the way. What rubbish. And then the other one. Clear water flows over white rocks. The autumn moon shines bright. So clear is the original faith. Who dare say it is or is not? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.